Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chapter 1 of Colonel Thorndyke's Secret this is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Colonel Thorndyke's Secret by George Alfred Henty. Chapter 1. Squire Thorndyke of the Manor House of Crawley was, on the 1st of September, 1782, walking up and down the little terrace in front of the quaint old house in an unusually disturbed mood he was a man of forty-three or four stoutly and strongly built and inclined to be portly save the loss of his wife four years before there had been but little to ruffle the easy tenor of his life a younger son he had at his mother's death when he was three-and-twenty come in for the small estate at crawley which had been her jointure for ten years he had led a life resembling that of most of his neighbours. He had hunted and shot, been a regular attendant at any main of cocks that was fought within fifteen miles of Crawley, had occasionally been up to London for a week or two to see the gay doings there. Of an evening he had generally gone down to the inn, where he talked over, with two or three of his own condition, and a few of the better class of farmers, the news of the day the war with the french the troubles in scotland the alarming march of the young pretender and his defeat at culloden with no very keen interest in the result for the southern gentry and yeomen unlike those in the north had no strong leanings either way they had a dull dislike for hanoverian george but no great love for the exiled stuarts whose patron the king of france was an enemy of england more often however their thoughts turned upon local topics the holding up of the coach of Sir James Harris or Squire Hamilton by highwaymen, the affray between the French smugglers and the revenue men near Selsey Bill or Shoreham, the delinquency of the poaching gangs, the heaviness of the taxes, and the price of corn. At the age of thirty-three, Squire Thorndyke married the daughter of a neighbouring landowner. A son was born, and three years later Mrs. Thorndyke died. Since then, the squire had led a more retired life. He still went down to smoke his pipe at the inn parlour, but he gave up his visits to town, and cock-fights and even bull-baiting were no longer attractions to him. He was known as a good landlord to three or four farmers who held land under him. He was respected and liked in the village, where he was always ready to assist in cases of real distress, was of an easy-going disposition, and on good terms with all his neighbours. But today he was unusually disturbed in his mind. 
A messenger had ridden up two hours before with a letter from London. It was as follows. My dear brother John, You will be surprised indeed at this letter from me, who, doubtless, you suppose to be fighting in India. I have done with fighting, and am nearly done with life. I was shot in the Battle of Buxar eighteen months ago. For a time the surgeons thought that it was going to be fatal. Then I rallied, and for some months it seemed that, in spite of the ball that they were never able to find, I was going to get over it, and should be fit for service again. Then I got worse. First it was a cough, then the blood used to come up, and they said that the only chance for me was to come home. I did not believe it would be of any use, but I thought that I would rather die at home than in India, so home I came, and have now been a week in London. I thought at first of going down to my place at Reigate, and having you and your boy there with me, but as I have certainly not many weeks, perhaps not many days, to live, I thought I would come down to you, so the day after you receive this letter I shall be with you. I shall not bring my little girl down. I have left her in good hands, and I shall only bring with me my Hindu servant. He will give you no trouble. A mat to sleep on, and a little rice to eat, will satisfy his wants, and he will take the trouble of me a good deal off your hands. He was a sepoy in my regiment, and has always evinced the greatest devotion for me. More than once in battle he has saved my life, and has, for the last three years, been my servant, and has nursed me, since I have been ill, as tenderly as a woman could have done. As I shall have time to tell you everything when I arrive, I will say no more now. The news had much affected John Thorndyke. His brother George was five years his senior, and had gone out as a cadet in the company's service when John was but thirteen. And this was his first homecoming. Had it not been for a portrait that had been taken of him in his uniform just before he sailed, John would have had but little remembrance of him. In that he was represented as a thin, spare youth, with an expression of quiet determination in his face. From his father John had, of course, heard much about him. Nothing would satisfy him but to go out to India, John. There was, of course, no occasion for it, as he would have this place after me, a fine estate and a good position. What could he want more? But he was a curious fellow. Once he formed an opinion, there was no persuading him to change it. He was always getting ideas such as no one else would think of, he did not care for anything that other people cared for, never hunted nor shot. He used to puzzle me altogether with his ways, and upon my word, I was not sorry when he said he would go to India, for there was no saying how he might have turned out if he had stopped here. He never could do anything like anybody else. Nothing that he could have done would have surprised me. If he had told me that he intended to be a play-actor, or a jockey, or a private, or a book-writer, I should not have been more surprised. Upon my word, it was rather a relief to me when he said, I have made up my mind to go into the East India service, father. I suppose you can get me a cadetship. At least that was an honourable profession, and I knew anyhow that when he once said, I have made up my mind, father, no arguments would move him, and that if I did not get him a cadetship, he was perfectly capable of running away, going up to London, and enlisting in one of their white regiments. John Thorndyke's own remembrances were that his brother had always been good-natured to him, that he had often told him long stories about Indian adventures, and that a short time before he went away, having heard that he had been unmercifully beaten by the schoolmaster at Reigate for some trifling fault, 
he had gone down to the town and had so battered the man that the school had to be closed for a fortnight they had always kept up a correspondence when he received the news of his father's death george had written to him begging him to go down to reigate and to manage the estate for him of course he said you will draw its income as long as you are there i mayn't be back for another twenty years one gets rich out here fast what with plunder and presents and one thing and another and it is no use to have money accumulating at home so just live on the place as if it were your own until i come home to turn you out john had declined the offer i am very well where i am he wrote and the care of the estate would be a horrible worry to me besides i have just married and if ever i have any children they would be brought up beyond their station i have done what i can for you i have seen the family lawyers who have engaged a man who has been steward to sir john highover and looked after the estate during his son's minority but the young blade on coming of age set to work to make ducks and drakes of the property and newman could not bear to see the estate going to the jews so as luck would have it he resigned a month ago and has been appointed steward at reigate of course if you don't like the arrangement you must write and say so it will be a year before i get your answer and he has only been engaged for certain for that time it must lie with you as to permanent arrangement sir newman had taken charge of the reigate estate and had continued to manage it ever since although george had written home in great displeasure at his offer being refused inside the manor the bustle of preparations was going on the spare room which had not been used for many years was being turned out and a great fire lighted to air it john thorndyke had sent a letter by the returning messenger to a friend in town begging him to go at once to leadenall street and send down a supply of indian condiments for his brother's use and had then betaken himself to the garden to think the matter over the next day a post-chaise arrived bringing the invalid and his coloured servant whose complexion and indian garb struck the maids with an awe not unmingled with alarm john thorndyke could hardly believe that the bent and emaciated figure was that of his brother but he remembered the voice when the latter said holding out his hand to him well brother john here i am what is left of me gracious man who would have thought that you were going to grow up such a fine tall fellow you are more fitted to be a soldier than i am no don't try to help me out ramoo will do that he is accustomed to my ways and i would as soon trust myself to a rogue elephant as to you i am sorry to see you looking so bad brother george what must be must i have had my fling and after thirty years of marching and fighting i have no right to grumble if i am laid upon my back at last leaning on ramoo's arm colonel thorndyke made his way into the house and when the hindu had arranged the cushions of the sofa took his place there in a half reclining position i am not always as bad as this john he said the jolting of your confounded roads has been too much for me if i were the king i would hang every fellow who had anything to do with them contractors boards of county magistrates and the whole lot if i had known what it was going to be like i would have hired a sedan chair and had myself carried down that is what i have been doing in london but i would rather have had an indian polky that one could have lain down comfortably in what shall i get you first george i have got some lemons i want something better than lemons john have you any burgundy handy yes plenty if you'll give a bottle to remove he will know how much water i want here the servants 